I will tell you something for nothing, lads. I have never been more ready for Christmas. Welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor and I am coming to you from Stockholm, as promised. I came back from Doha, lads. I was missing you that much. I was missing the snow and the minus 14 the other day when I went out the door. Missing all that and all the lovely crispy things and the lussibuller and the whole lot. So I came home to you. And now I'm worn out completely. Uh, when you do those big events like I tend to do and I have the privilege to do, like the World Cup or the Olympics, you just go and you work like, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, seven days a week. It's like being a junior doctor except you're dumb as shit. But um, so I was going to do that and then you come back and you think, ah, yeah, no, Grant, uh, I'll do me laundry now and that kind of thing. And it just doesn't stop. So then on... Um, I came back on the Sunday, got home late on the Sunday night. I was up on, on the television in Ireland on the Monday morning. And that was all grand, and you just kept going. And then on Thursday morning I got up, and I had to go into town, because I was going down below to our friends in Malmö. And shockingly and upsettingly, I didn't even have time to put out a call to say, look, would anybody in the Irish community down there talk to me? Because I literally got there at about 3 o'clock, checked into a hotel, went to a football match that I was covering uh, between FC Rosengård and Bayern Munich in the Women's Champions League. And then the following morning I was up at 7 o'clock, and I was back on my way to Stockholm. So that's kind of how it's been now. So lads, I have never been more ready for Christmas. Give me a break. Take this microphone out of my poor frozen hand and give me a bit of a break. I hope you're all well. I hope uh, if you're heading back to our fair green aisle for Christmas that you're not too stressed, that you're getting into it now. Last couple of days, I'm wondering actually how it's going to work out for many people because this is one of those really miserable years where <clears throat> Christmas Eve is on the Saturday and Christmas Day is on the Sunday and Stephen's Day is on the Monday, and then you have four working days after that, so you have to take a whole shed load of holidays if you're going to get any crack out of it whatsoever. Or you can have what they call competed, which is what the Swedes call time in you. If you have time to take off, that mightn't be too bad. And then the same crack again the following weekend, so New Year's Eve, New Year's Day then on the Saturday and the Sunday, so there's not too much going for free. So I'd imagine there might be a few wheels who are hanging around over here who might have preferred to go back to Ireland, but um, just don't have that choice because the way things are falling. Well, either way... I hope if you are travelling that you're very organised and that the laundry is done and the bag is packed and you have the few bits and pieces, uh, a couple of jars of sill or whatever you're going to bring back and stick on the Christmas uh, table, the Christmas dinner table back home in Ireland just to shock the shite out of people. Uh, and if you're staying here, I hope you have your presents bought and your tree is up and your living room is smelling lovely and that uh, you're ready to go. I did mention last week on the podcast that I'm going to be in Sweden uh, this Christmas. I, I think we've been here the last few Christmases, but in any case, I'll be here again. So if anybody's around Stockholm, uh, if you want to be on your own, that's fine. But there's no need for anybody to be lonely, right? Uh, so do reach out. And I know there's a good few people not left knocking around. So somebody be gone for a drink somewhere. I think uh, Veerstrom's Pub are proud sponsors and we're delighted to have them. Uh, of this wonderful podcast uh, Martin and Veerstums are pretty much open the whole time right so it's a little bit changed now because like they're not going to be open at 10 o'clock in the morning on Christmas day or Christmas Eve or that but the pub is open so if you go onto their Instagram make sure you're following their Instagram right because it's full of, of useful information about what rugby matches are being shown and what soccer matches are being shown and all that kind of thing so it's like it's definitely worth following and then the various different blues and trad acts and you know when the, the Grail Gories at Sulin are going in there there's often a little notice up on the on their Instagram page so go look for Veerstrom's pub there on Instagram and follow them and you'll find out what hours they are open over the Christmas now this week is a kind of a special episode because I got a chance to catch up with somebody that I don't often get to talk to but before we talk to him uh, I'm going to remind you this is a listener supported podcast I'm so tired I can't dig up the switch number and nor can I remember it right but for the new year lads and ladies the new year resolution patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm right five or six euros a month there will go a long way to keeping the lights on right now I know I probably should have the lights off anyway because electricity doesn't grow on trees but uh, yeah if you could do that for me that would be magnificent I'm trying to build up the podcasting into something that's um, something I can dedicate a lot more time to and I'm hoping to do an awful lot more of that in the new year. So if you do appreciate it and uh, if you can feel like contributing and you have a few bob over, please do so. If you don't, don't feel bad, right? N money is never going to be an object uh, to consume in the podcast that I do. Everything I do, it, nothing is behind a paywall, right? The option is there to pay for it, but nobody ever has to do it because I don't believe in that. Like, I believe that those who can afford to pay for it should and those who can't, look, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, the, the information is out there and this is a community podcast and a community supported podcast as it goes 
So that was uh, all for that. Um, yeah, so this week's episode, um, next week now I'm not sure, right, because it's going to be St. Stephen's Day on the Monday, and Kevin Carroll's not going to be wor- going to work, right? And I know it sounds like I make this podcast solely for Kevin Carroll, and the rest of you are just eavesdropping. That's not the case, ladies and gentlemen. But it may be the case that, you know, in a busy week to come and that kind of thing, maybe you don't want to be listening to me next Monday on St. Stephen's Day. If you do want to be listening to me, for, leave, leave a comment on Instagram or on LinkedIn or Facebook or put up the bat sign or send me a letter or a home and pitch or whatever and if you want an episode I will absolutely make an episode I cannot take any responsibility for how good bad or indifferent it will be due to the fact that there may not be people knocking around to talk to but your jays will give it our best shot if I don't hear from you I'll probably take a week or two off so that would be the 26th and then the 2nd of January and then we'll hopefully be back the, the following week there and of course there is uh, that situation that we had where I had planned to go to Lulio and I ended up having to cancel it because I was just too busy there so I'm going to Ireland for a few days from the 3rd to the 6th of January and then I'll be back and normal service will be resumed and in the meantime I might drop something onto the Arrowman and Stockholm podcast feed just about the book that I wrote about the Stockholm Gales which is available on SoundCloud do you know what Jason we might trot all the episodes out there uh, on Spotify because I don't think they've come up on Spotify yet but I can probably snake them in there that's if you're that desperate to hear my voice and I can, can hardly imagine anybody is that anyway listen um, we like to talk about food this time of the year right and if you remember last year long time listeners of this podcast will remember that we had a lovely conversation last year with Donald Skeen who was married to the wonderful Sophie from the west coast of Sweden and Donald came on to talk about Irish food and making Irish food for Christmas and Swedish Christmas food as well and we had great crack with Donald absolutely fantastic bloke another man you should be following on Instagram right especially if you have kids and you're looking to make tasty dinners during the week uh, give him an old follow over there uh, but the man that we chose to talk to this year is if anything um, like just a magnificent chef right magnificent human being great goalkeeper fantastic hurler puck father expert uh, Liam Ginnan from County Clare now Liam works as a food and beverage manager at Vorgord, which is over on the south side of town. I call it the south side of town. It's probably, uh, is it south east? South, south east? Let's go with south east. Nobody's going to look at the map when they're looking at a bleeding or watch, listen to a podcast anyway. Uh, so he's over there in Salt Corbaldon, which is a very uh, sort of posh, very pleasant area of the city, right on the water there in this beautiful hotel and conference centre and the whole works with restaurants and a bar that they've done for like 1.6 million euros or something like that. It's just it's a lovely place altogether. Together. But um, Liam has catering in his blood. A magnificent chef, worked in Edinburgh in Scotland for a few years at a place called the Champ of the Inn, and he was that good in the kitchen that they won a Michelin star. And a Michelin star, for those of you who don't know, that's posh scran right there, right? That's uh, that's not your spice bag, and it's not your one-on-one from Beshoff's Chipper or whatever else you happen to be going, right? Uh, or Bordock's. It's This is the real deal, right? So I figured I'd talk to Liam, and it's one of those that, as I'm talking to you now, it's only not too many hours until the podcast is, <laughs> is due to go out. But so busy there Liam was called yeah no I'll meet you in the afternoon over the weekend and we'll go and we'll have a chat and we did and Liam and I have known each other for a very long time he was I've got to go as far as to say that he was the original goalkeeper in the Stockholm Gales uh, and then we had of course Ragnar Alquist who took over after him or I think they even split it a little while there when, uh, when Liam couldn't do it which is a fantastic guy uh, very considered opinions about uh, catering and hotel business what makes a good restaurant what makes a good Christmas dinner and that's we sat down we had a good old yarn over there and if you do have the chance I mean you know we're, we're forever trying to send people to Marjorie Sundstrom down there at the Marriott Courtyard Hotel down there in Kung's Holman but if you're looking for something a little bit outside the town it's worth having a chat with Liam now very high end very exclusive that kind of thing but it's worth uh, paying a visit there as well and uh, I suppose part of the podcast is to bring you people like this and stories like this and uh, sure here he is not too much Gaelic football on this but plenty of talk about food and hotels and catering and life in general in Sweden this is Liam Ginnan on the Irish in Sweden podcast and I'll be back when I'm done talking to him for last little bit of housekeeping before the Christmas Liam, describe the scene to me. Tell me where we are and why we're here. Start with, start with where we are, I suppose. Start where we are. We're at uh, Vorgård. Uh, we're sitting in the old part of the hotel. And we're sitting in a room called the library. Uh, that'll, do, that'll explain the books right now. That'll explain the books, yeah. It's a little room. What would it be? It's about three or four metres wide. And there's a round 
I was going to say round corners on it, but that just makes me sound stupid, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It does a bit. Uh, How did you end up, end up out here? Because you've been in the catering business now pretty much ever since you came to Sweden, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, what? How did I manage? They applied. Or they were looking for a food and beverage manager in the middle of Corona. Yeah. And, I, and you went, that's me. <laughs> that's me. Uh, before I applied, I, I was kind of, Jesus, will I apply or will I not? So eventually... I was going to do a consultancy in Gotland for the yeah. summer. And I decided the night before to apply. And yeah, I managed to get lucky and get the job. Jeez, I don't love to got unlucky and got me. But, <laughs> yeah. I will, uh, if we go back a little bit, because when we met, you were only, when we first met, you were only sort of moved over here. But you came over here with a CV that very few Irish chefs have. You turned the Champagne Inn in Scotland into a Michelin-starred restaurant. You've done your homework, haven't you? Look at I, I only need to hear these stories once, pal. These were the things we used to talk about over points when the Stockholm Gale started yeah, around. So yeah. If you go back to where, where did you actually start in the catering business then before you, you got there, even to the Champagne? Uh, I started, I did my apprenticeship, I would say, in Drumol and Castle. Mm. Just uh, in Newmarket and Fergus, which Drumol is five-star, which the likes of... George Bush, Clinton, Nelson Mandela. They've all been through there. We've always they all had a dinner made by you at some point. I don't know, maybe not. Sometimes. Maybe a salad. A salad or a poached egg <laughs> or an Irish fry up or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I started. That's why I did eight, eight years, I think, total. I went away. I went to Switzerland. They placed me in Switzerland for 12 months. Then I came back, worked in Drummond. Climbed the ladder a little bit, and then in this game, everyone wants to develop even more. Yeah. Uh, so the ceiling there was the head chef's been there since what? I don't know, maybe twenty odd years. And showing, you know, in rude good health and the whole lot. He's yeah. not showing any so, signs of shuffling off. So sometimes you need to move to develop and climb the ladder. Yeah. And then my wife Sandra, she wanted to move back. To Sweden, we said we'd try it for a year. Yeah, and uh, we moved here in 2005 for a year, and then we left and moved to Scotland. What was it that didn't work the first time around? Did you only manage a year here and then sold it uh, off to Scotland? She thought the money that she was offered in a hotel in the city, I'm not going to name it, was shocking. <laughs> Please don't, <laughs> was shocking. Well, it was just uh, poor, bad, poor, bad. Yeah, uh, so she got. She moved then to the Balmoral in Edinburgh. Okay. So that's what brought us to the Balmoral. It's just a pure that's cash grab. That was it. Like, yeah, Sandra she, was getting more money. Yeah, so she went to work for a hotel company called Rocket Fort, which is a pretty big yeah. five-star company. So she worked there for four years, I think. That's the yeah. time. So yeah, I ended up being in the company. Uh, I refused the head chef position at the start. I didn't think I was ready. Uh, I left the Champagne, and then I came back as the head chef. But if you don't mind me saying, Liam, right, there's not a whole lot of people would have done that in your position. If you were offered the, job, the head chef's job at a place, a prestigious place like that, and you go, no. I mean, I would have thought that most people in the catering business would have been the other way around, that they take it despite not having the competence to do the job. Uh, yeah, some people would, but you're found Bluffers, out. Bluffers, I think they're called. Yeah. <laughs> you okay. get found out, do you? You do. You would get found out pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, it's not. Uh, we had chef for two restaurants, one fine dining and one with a bistro with a... You can have people waiting an hour and a half for a table. You yeah. you get found out. It's the same in any walk of life. Yeah. Like if I try and do a Kevin Carroll on it and go around and do carpentry, yeah. <laughs> I'll be found out after after half an hour kind of day, yeah. 20 minutes. <laughs> so you would be found out. So it took me a while to, I suppose, build up my confidence. Yeah. And uh, what, what did you feel you were lacking in that you didn't take the, the head chef's job? Because it's not just a production line, especially in a place like that, as you mentioned, both fine dining and a bistro. But a bistro, it's not fucking Max hamburgers are pumping out there. You're trying to do something a little bit different, aren't you? Yeah, it was. It's, it was what British, classic British food. So we used to hang our own meat. We used to make our own burgers, our own sausages. Yeah. We used to cook everything on, on grills. It was, it was maybe 10 years ahead of everybody else. You reckon, yeah? Yeah. Now everyone cooks over open fire or whatever. Yeah. Everyone wants to hang their own meat or hang their own 
poultry and whatever. Everyone. Yeah. So we were, they were doing that before I was even there. Yeah. So it was just my job then to make sure things looked a bit prettier on the plate. I don't know. Yeah. So it was, it was, head chef job is about organization. It's not. It's a management job, isn't it's it? It's a management job. Which do you prefer? Because way back, I don't know if you remember way back when, good 10 years ago, probably somewhere in that 15 years in January, I moved. Yeah. But, but you remember when we did, uh, we made we a couple of films for Board Bia yeah. about Irish lamb. And I remember seeing you in the kitchen. And like I've worked in kitchens when I was younger, you know, at the Regency Hotel in Dublin. And, you know, I've worked in, in pizzerias over here. Now, there's a difference between sort of that sort of production line thing and what you were doing, which is, at the crossroads of sort of, you know, creativity and art and, and food, right? So you were doing, you made lamb meatballs, I don't know if you remember, with yeah. a lingon sorbet. And I was just going, this is just Did mind I make sorbet? You made a sorbet in the, in the freezer, yeah. yeah it, was abs- it was the best thing they ever tasted, like, you know. But, so where do you, where do, do those two lines cross for you in terms of food? Do you look at something, you know, when you're going to make a menu here in Vorgord every season, do you look at it and go, okay, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that? Or are you sort of based on produce or what, what decides? See, or our motto or whatever, our policy here is to buy as, as much as possible local produce mm. uh, as we can. So we, we follow the seasons as far as we can. Yeah. Uh, we don't buy strawberries from Thailand or yeah. beef from Brazil. We just don't do it. It's not part of our, our policy. Yeah. So everything is seasonal it has to be seasonal uh, a little bit local then as yeah. well if you can yeah. so we have suppliers here supplying deer mm. uh, we haven't managed to find any beef yet we have a guy about 10 minutes out the road you passed him on the way in supplying lamb and that's in season so it's and then we have people picking mushrooms from the local area yeah that they want to come in and we buy their mushrooms they'll send you a few kilos of mushrooms yeah. there everywhere you know? So some of the girls are working housekeeping. They they go out and pick mushrooms when they're not working. We just get <laughs> thousands of kilos of mushrooms. Well, uh, it's an exaggeration, but you get maybe 60, 70 kilos. Uh, the chanterelles. And you have to, you decide then, okay, I have to find a way to get these things on the menu. Is it a very traditional menu here, or is there room for creativity for you? Uh, my job now wouldn't be in the kitchen. Uh, my job is probably to manage the kitchen, restaurant, bar, bakery, and the wine cafe. So there's guys that I've employed to do, make sure that the canterers go on the menu when the time is right. Yeah. Uh, but then before the menus are done, then he has to, to share his ideas with me. So then you like it's like a teamwork, I suppose. So would they come to you and say, right, we have these chanterelles, we have lamb coming in from this land 10 minutes down the road we have this kind of thing and he'd say to you i was thinking doing this with them and then you go no you idiot don't do that do this would there be a fight over it or do you kind of let them do what they want yeah you build up a, a trust it's like being married to someone you, you build yeah. up trust and it's about give and take and you can't be going around sawing people off, sawing people going, off. Yeah. you never you'll be in there on your own doing everything. <laughs> yeah. you can't do that either you have to you have to trust the people that you employ yeah. Uh, so now, yeah, but Magnus, he's a good lad. He's he's the head chef. He's from uh, the Francais group. And anyone in the food industry knows what the Francais yeah, yeah. group Jesus, is. Yeah. So he's got a very good uh, background as well. So yeah, yeah I leave him to his uh, his own. His uh, own the other day, I, I the odd occasion I'm in the kitchen with the chef whites uh, and when people are sick or whatever. But most of my time is basically uh, in the service now side of it uh, running around with plates and doing stuff like do, you, do you enjoy that do you enjoy that contact with the customers I do I love it uh, it's 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 good fun you meet some wonderful people but you meet some oh Jesus some dickheads out there as well isn't there there is yeah uh, but the, say 95% of people uh, are quite uh, are good fun yeah uh, it's all about having a bit of fun yeah. and a bit of a smile they're out to enjoy themselves. And yeah, they they're the out to enjoy. Then you need to have that finger chancellor, whatever, yeah, fingertip, a, whatever it's called. Yeah, the sensitivity kind yeah. of thing to whatever. Then you know who wants to talk and who doesn't. Yeah. People might be here that shouldn't be here. Yeah. They don't want to talk to you and they'll show it. They yeah. just want to be on their own. Just feed me and let me go yeah, kind of thing. Exactly. Right? So yeah. it's a bit, it's about building up that knowledge of 
no one, okay, Phil wants to talk. Someone else on table four doesn't want to talk. Just let them go. Like they that. want to have a private dinner or a private lunch. So yeah. It's a lot of that. You see it. You, you get to know the side. Yeah. Is there more pressure in service or being behind the computer and deciding rosters and ordering chanterelles from the girls who work in the chambermaids or whatever? Is there, is there more pressure in that than what there actually is on a station in the kitchen, would you say? Yeah, because now I have like 90 people under me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just you uh, as a sous chef kind of you know poking away at some little uh, blank kind no, of in the kitchen I'm not slagging the kitchen now but the kitchen is basically one department yeah so they kind of focused in the kitchen and what the kitchen does and yeah. putting in the food out the stuff and trying to burn the waitress's hand with top plates <laughs> and stuff like that it's, uh, but now it's, it's uh, I have to have the bigger picture that Bigger picture includes like 90 people and responsible for every piece of food and drink that leaves. Holidays, sick leave, uh, the bit of chicken that was stuck at the back of the fridge, the crack in yeah, the plate, every, 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 every the, detail. And the first, I, I leave the, the head of departments to do, they, uh, they do what they do and they do it very well. Uh, so, so they might roster their people or that kind of thing. Yeah, they? and then you have to, you have to look at that. Well, yeah. it's, every place is about budgets and, and stuff. And so is, you is, you often hear it, like when I talk to Carl Stein and when I talk to Tony and that kind of thing. They go, look, if you want to make money, you know, if you want to go grey and not make money, get into the restaurant business. Is it a very difficult business to make money? And are the margins generous if you're doing what you're doing, or do you have to be on the ball all the time and keep an eye on the pennies? Uh, you never make money on food. You're not, no. no. And then, like people say, you're expensive. You charge, also three hundred and twenty-five pounds for a main course. But people forget that you buy from a farmer down the road. That he has to be looked after. He has his bills, and then you have to pay a, a decent wage to your staff. Yeah. And the biggest, biggest bill you'll ever have anywhere is your staff cost. So wages, yeah. And you can't be going around with your head in your sand saying, "Oh, they'll work for five euros an hour." Yeah. They won't. Not anymore. No, no. Maybe them days, 20, 30 years ago, where you'd work but you, you <laughs> split shifts and got paid for six hours. Maybe that. Yeah. But them days are gone. And everyone needs a, a decent wage. But there used to be that saying as well, that you pay peanuts and you get monkeys. Yeah. And you won't get any loyalty out of people no. if you're paying them a fiver. And they are kind of thing. No, you won't. They'll, they'll go down to the next place where they get seven euros an hour or yeah. nine euros an hour. So it's, yeah. it's staff costs are the biggest cost any yeah. place would have. Is, is it hard to find good staff? Because in the, between the two of us and all the people listening to this podcast, I've never found the level of service in Sweden to be anything near what I would expect in Ireland or in America. They just, to me, I've just never seen that, uh, that intuition or that attention to detail that I would expect. It comes across often as very sort of, you know, uh, a little bit false. You know, they're not genuinely interested in me having a good time. It's more they're, they're in it because they have to. Do you, do you have a hard time finding genuine people for service here? Uh, we would have a hard time. Corona's played a huge part in that. Uh, corona came a lot of like chefs, waiters, waitresses. They all left the industry and they're all working in an Ecomex or a Coop or somewhere. Yeah. They're getting better paid. and Eight-hour shifts, you go home. Eight-hour shifts, Good luck. you can plan their lives a bit. So that, that's affected the business. Uh, and then because where we are, it's you're not in the middle of the city out here. You're, yeah. How long did it take you to come from Stockholm? Jesus, it took me five minutes. When I put it on minutes? Google Maps, I was in Yorkers Bay and I said 47 minutes to get all the way over to this side. Like it was so over. We're maybe 25 minutes from Slussen. Yeah. Uh, so it does. You have to have a car. It, it goes. The train does go. But slowly but surely, we're beginning to recover and find more staff. Yeah. Staff are now applying for jobs. That yeah. we don't have. Uh, That's a force now for that. That hasn't happened in a long time. The last three or four months, we've started to receive CVs, people applying for jobs that we don't actually have. Yeah. Which is a nice, uh, it's a nice problem to have because yeah. I think there's about 15,000 uh, jobs in the country that uh, in the catering and restaurant industry. And there's nobody there to fill them. Nobody there to fill them. How does that work out then in terms of like education, right? Because you obviously have catering colleges here that are throwing people out, but there's just not enough people willing to do that. No, the work there's not moment. enough. Like the biggest one and probably one of the best ones in the city, uh, Globen Restaurant School, they might have five students. 
Jesus. Yeah, about two years ago, I was in there to do their final exams, to judge their final exams, and they had seven students. <laughs> seven students for 15,000 jobs kind of thing. And you might think two of them might get the job. Christ almighty. Uh, or two of them would, could go pretty far in the... In they the could walk in somewhere and, yeah. and do a job. Like, you know? Maybe 50% to be as well off to do something. That's incredible, really. The standard is... It's not an easy life to work in the hotel business. Uh, mm. It's uh, you either love it or you hate it. Yeah, and that's you seem to love it though. You seem to love this. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I suppose it's a drug. Uh, the adrenaline that you get. When you is, work. is that the payoff for you? Because I always wondered. You always struck me as being sometimes a shy person, but somebody who's very, very proud of what they do. Because when you made those lamb meatballs and that lingon sorbet and everything else like that, that was you expressing yourself and going, look, I know what I'm doing here, lads. It was incredible. And you did a beef reed berry with lamb as well. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you'd be, I am a proud person of what I do, I suppose. Uh, but I think the job kind of, it pulls you in. Yeah. And then I've never let go. Or yeah. <laughs> never let go of me. Uh, you never considered doing that Nelson, no? No, I, I studied I probably in secondary school when I did my leave and I was I could have done food science and I would have been a a health inspector. Jesus. From one side to the other. Uh, yeah. So I could have done that. Uh, but I didn't. Uh, I decided to be a chef. I started off as a kitchen cook. I think everybody does, though. If they, yeah. if they climb the ladder properly, you start off washing the you pots, don't you? Start off washing the pots. And I used to do the pots, and the guy on the breakfast used to say, oh, you can help me now. Oh, great. Cook some Damn. sausages, do some eggs. Yeah. What the fuck are you saying? So I in the staff canteen smoking cigarettes. And I'd be doing the pots and the breakfast for people. Jesus. So I ended up going to GMIT, Galway Mayo <laughs> Institute of Technology, yeah. to do professional cooking. Uh, and then I did that two years, and then where did I go? I started off in the Clarion after that. Did some placements, started off in the Clarion. Yeah. And then I joined the recruitment agency, what's that, 20-odd years ago. Yeah. And they got on to Drumoland, and Drumoland checked out who I was because I'm from the same village. As yeah, well. yeah. And some of my friends were working there, and he said, yeah, okay, come on in. And that was me then. Uh, started off in the veg. I went to cut carrots with a bread knife. I said that went down well the first day, right? An English guy said, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so it, they kind of just broke me down and started me up. Yeah. Because you learn certain things in college, but uh, you go out into a place like the world. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an eye-opener. You know, I, found, I find that as well with journalism. Right? They go in there, they go through college and everything else like that. And then they come to work with me at the World Cup of the Olympics. They go, okay, see all that? Forget that. Right? This is how the real world yeah. works. There's no cutting carrots with a bread knife in our world. Right? No. You know? yeah. uh, so it's, that was an eye-opener. And then it was just, okay, we worked. We worked split shifts. So we worked from 8 to half past 2, 3, and back at 4. To 10, 30, 11. A split shift or an hour, an hour and a half in the break. And then you got, then you got paid for it. That was the way. And that was our life. You used to go home sometimes and sleep. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough. Home house was, what, 15 minutes from Drummond's. So yeah. You have to go home, have a sleep, and then back to work. Back up again. We did that five days, six days a week. What's the tempo like in a kitchen like that, you know, because... When you were, you were saying you're on the veg there, right? what, what would that mean? When you go in in the morning, like, you know, how many kilos of this, that, and the other, what would you have to do to prepare it? Uh, you'd probably start off doing uh, peeling potatoes. You know, in Ireland, everyone loves a potato. Don't we love the spoon, don't we? So there's no dinner without a potato. <laughs> uh, so one way or the other, we used to have different types of potatoes for the chips, for the mashed potatoes. <laughs> so it was, you'd start off peeling maybe 20, 30 kilos of potato. Jesus. Would you be bored of your mind out now, would you? You would, yeah. It's not probably the... The most stimulating It's not job. the most stimulating <laughs> job, but that's, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and they couldn't have me as a newbie out of college on the cooking the fillet steak. I wouldn't have a clue. No. So I thought I had a clue, but I wouldn't have had a clue. No. So they, yeah, you start off that, and then you turn potatoes. You might do 30, 30 kilos of those. 
Jesus. then you do batten carrots or whatever else and then you do all the garnish for the yeah. fillet of beef or whatever it is so you're probably parsley's and cucumbers yeah, and all sorts of stuff like that chopping herbs and if you didn't chop them right enough the head chef would come around to take it and put it in the stock that'll be it that'll be you told there you're right, oh, yeah. that wasn't good enough like. it wasn't good enough he, he would he would take it and put it in the stock pot then start eating Jesus and it was a good way you look back at it now and you think he's fucking crazy because he did that the like the, the standards that he set there and then was probably yeah. what's driven me on to do what I did. Yeah. But it, it sounds to me like it's a, and the kitchens I work in, it was always a fairly harsh climate, right? It was no place for shrinking violence. If you did something wrong, you'd be fucking told because everything is time sensitive. I'm dependent on you and you're dependent on the next person on the line, right? Yeah, no one wants to be the weakest link. It's the same. Yeah. We play football, soccer, or and no one wants to be the, the sub that never gets on. Yeah. No one wants to be in the service. Or, or the person who gives the, the ball away at the wrong yeah. time or whatever. Like, yeah. Uh, so you always want to be in, in the service. So it kind of, it's not the easiest. Now things have changed a little bit for the better, thank God. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a tough place to be. It's, it's warm. And there's, there's knives and stuff around. And <laughs> Tempers flaring and this kind yeah, of thing. Very rarely. Now, I think once or twice I, I threw something in my, my later days. But uh, yeah. uh, but that's it's to do with pressure as well. It's a pressure cooker. Yeah. The level you go to uh, is a pressure cooker environment. And sometimes back then there wasn't GEA. Or back when uh, in Champagne there wasn't GEA to go out and Smack a fellow when you're playing that game or something. Yeah. <laughs> to, to release that energy. Or yeah. So I remember once I threw something at the chef because uh, he had fucked up uh, a souffle. Yeah. And I'd watched him do it because I knew it was coming. You could see it coming, like, yeah. Could, and he didn't, he didn't follow the recipe. And to do souffles, you, probably, you need to follow the recipe from here to Yeah. And he just took a shortcut. And then it takes, what, 20 minutes to cook. So everything was cooked to order. And uh, you go to that level of Michelin, you you can't have a fuck-up. Because <laughs> you don't know if it's a, a Michelin inspector or is it yeah. whatever. Food critic. could be or anybody. A food like. critic. So yeah. that souffle went flying across the kitchen. And, and uh, it was still, I was there actually. It was back in the Champagne two years ago and there's still the same dint in the wall. <laughs> uh, they've drawn a, a, a love heart around it. <laughs> In the kitchen, in your honor, huh? in my honor, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's a it's a pressure environment, just like any any job today. And these are a high performing environment, you know. You yeah. have these things. Yeah. Everyone has pressure. Uh, everyone has deadlines. It just happens to be kitchen chef wise have deadlines every day between For several times a day, often several. as well. Yeah. Yeah, you have your lunch service, and you have to have your your dinner service, where you have to flick a switch to turn the light on or off. Yeah. And turn the tip off. Down. When you're managing people, you have 90 people under you here at Vorgord. What's your sort of philosophy on it, right? Because I've always figured that you'll get more out of people with the carrot than the stick, right? And when something goes wrong, I try not to criticize the person because usually they know that they've fucked up. And the last thing they need is me going, you fucked up. Do you, do you sort of vary that or do you try to be sort of a little bit softer with them than maybe people would have been with you at Ramolan that time? I came, when I first came over, uh, from Scotland, uh, I met a chef cry in the middle of service. Oh, and I said, fucking hell, I need to stop. I need to lose this temper or roll in this temper. I find that hard to believe, Liam, because, you know, even now you're such a quietly spoken fella, but you just fucking lost it, did you? Well, you see, I couldn't understand why he was taking so long to cook a piece of fish. I just couldn't. <laughs> it's just beyond you. Like. It's even still now, I haven't been able to understand. <laughs> And uh, like twenty five minutes for a piece, a piece of real big sea char, and it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. So I just ended up losing my head uh, with it. We're friends now, of course, <laughs> but I said after that, I, I can't, you can't be at that level. You'll end up being on your own. So now it's more. Even now you have to have a. It's more the carrot now. It's more putting the hand around the person to say, look, this is what we can do. But then there's times where. I can go through someone because I know I've been nice enough 
There's a limit to it. Like there that. is a limit. Yeah. There is a limit to everyone's patience. But yeah. if you keep making the same mistakes, you well, that's it. Like you know, like if you're taking the piss as well, you know, if you're going, yeah. ah, you know, I won't do that now. Liam's not going to go mad at me, so I'll just do what I like. And then all of a sudden, you have to fucking mark that. You have to mark the car. Then you have to mark the car for the other eighty people around yeah. the place. That no, there is a line where you can't cross. No, and you have to do that sometimes. You were saying that was it two and a half thousand Yule boobs, the Swedish Christmas buffet yeah. that you've done here. Today is our, our last one, uh, thank God. It'll be a sense of relief now, a bit of a whiskey this evening, will there? There will be a whiskey actually tonight. <laughs> uh, I missed out on joining the, the old Gales or the Golden Gales. Yeah, the Golden Gales were out last night, yeah. Uh, so there will be a whiskey tonight when I get home. But what has that been like? Because you come into a place like this, right? Obviously, you know the food business. You've got Mitchell and Stars and the Champion, that kind of thing. But Swedish sort of, you know, Christmas cooking or that kind of thing, was that something very new to you that you had to learn about? Because you make most stuff from scratch here, don't you? Yeah, we do 95% of what we buy. Nothing comes out of a can or that kind of thing, no? No. no. Uh, so I, the, where we did the, the lamb for bold beer and stuff, that yeah. place... Uh, that's an old, he's an old German chef that worked in Stalmaster Gordon and worked with uh, all the famous Swedish chefs. So he taught me everything that he could teach me in regards to Swedish husband's cooking. Yeah. Uh, so I spent a lot, I, we're still very good friends, but I spent five years with Martin. Yeah. And I still work the odd day with Martin. If you give me shit, he'd just say, Liam, can anyone help me? And, I'll, I'll drop whatever I'm doing to one help Go roll up your sleeves and yeah, that kind of thing. Because yeah. he's he showed me how to, or taught me how to cook. Because we don't, in Ireland, you, we never worked with this uh, ethica vinegar. Yeah. And it's here's a more salt, sour uh, taste. So it's, especially in their husband's cost. Yeah. So then, but if we do something like uh, Calvin Deal or something, and if this, then we will go to one older person in the brigade yeah. to get them to taste the salt. Because we can't, we can go maybe 95%, but we can't go the next five. Yeah, yeah. They know what it they tastes know what like. It tastes you know, like. It's just so, and we wouldn't have that in us. Yeah. So you do need to take in expertise yeah. you know, and not be afraid to say, can you help me with this kind of sauce? Because yeah. it's not our, uh, we don't have that tradition. No. So, I suppose it's worth explaining the term. Husman's cost is how we describe, you know, what people eat in Sweden. And a husman was basically a farm labourer. Yeah. So, you know, this is what was fed. So cost is basically, you know, their nutrition. So a husman, you know, like a farm labourer's food, basically. And this is, it is very sort of meat, potatoes, yeah. uh, fish, all these kinds of things. Was there, do you find that, as somebody who, who grew up in catering and who's, you know, done that thing in the champion, do you find making that food interesting? Because I was always interested in the whole idea of preserving sill, yeah. you know, in like all this kind of stuff, get all that lax, the salmon thing, you know, do you find it fascinating? It's, a, it's very interesting what, in what they do and how they do it. Uh, it's a bit like ours on our Irish stew. Yeah. There's maybe a hundred different ways to do an Irish stew. Yeah. There might be a hundred different ways to do with legs and then you can add different flavors or yeah add more salt or add more sugar so it is very the base is there uh, it's like irish stew you can do irish stew different ways yeah and there'll always be someone that will try to do coddle a different way than what it should be done. yeah yeah so that that's where the the excitement comes yeah. the excitement or the when you deliver on a calvin dill sauce and someone from sweden someone swedish at a an age of about 50 upwards to 70, yeah. say, that's nice. And then you go, fucking yes, yes. got that. Like, yeah. So then, yeah, it's, it's, you have to, uh, you have to do, win in Rome, do what the Romans do. Yeah. Just have to do it. Speaking of which, right, there's bound to be some young that listening to this for the first time who's not going home to Ireland, won't be getting the mother's turkey and ham. Instead, the new girlfriend's parents have invited him to stay for the Christmas. What's he going to be eating? What, is the, what are the essential elements of the Swedish Yule Boot, the Christmas buffet that you I just, one tip is just go easy on the snacks. <laughs> <laughs> stay off the gargle, that's what you do. That happened to me about 16 years ago. I was. We were living in. I think we were living in Switzerland. And we came over. Me and my wife Sandra came over here. And you know, in Ireland, you get the, the shot. Yeah. And you down the shot. It's just yeah. It's natural thing. So we got it. Uh, shot glass. Sandra's dad gave me a homemade uh, snaps. 
with uh, blackberries in it. Yeah. Sounds lovely. And they down the hatch. Down the hatch, they sang their songs, and they were kind of looking at me, going, "Okay, we need to fill this glass up again." So I had maybe four down the hatch snaps. I'm going, Shit. Shit. <laughs> so my recommendation would be to anyone that's staying with their in-laws or future in-laws, take it easy on the snap. You don't have to knock the whole thing <laughs> no, back at once, lads. Take six. six. <laughs> I promise you. Uh, you sit there like some sort of Celtic hooligan at the table, right? Like. Some Viking. <laughs> Half cut on 24 to So I don't remember what anything tasted like the that, first time. But it, it's like uh, you have the, the herrings that have been pickled and flavoured with mustard or there's, there's all different ones. There's nothing to be afraid of in any of that, right? No, it, there's There's not. no real strong taste or, or that kind of thing that would go, you know, to make people barf or that kind of thing, no? No, there shouldn't be. Like there's the sea buckthorn or hawthorn. That's a that's a strange flavor. We wouldn't use, or I wasn't used to that. Yeah. Uh, mustard, yeah, we have mustard. Corman's mustard. Tonight. Yeah, yeah. It's and not even a strong. Yeah. The mustard seal that you get that's, is not even as strong as that. Trip. So you have the dill seal. A lot of, and then it depends on if you if you've had smoked salmon in Ireland. I'd say the majority of people I've had. Yeah. They draw the blacks. It's the same thing. It's just the same. Yeah. Basically, uh, basically the same thing. So that should be fine. The meatballs, yeah. Is there any difference between the Christmas meatballs and regular meatballs when you make them here? We might put a little bit more Christmas flavours in it Yeah, here sometimes. Oh. But the ones we do here is uh, venison. Well, it's venison meatballs here, venison. yeah. What would you throw in there in terms of herbs or spices to make them more Christmassy? Uh, you could have your nutmeg and your, your little bit of cinnamon and a little bit of star anise. Just to give it a bit more of that. Christmas feeling. Yeah, make it a little bit different from the wood you eat yeah. every day kind of thing. You know? So we, we decided to make uh, uh, venison because venison or game meatballs because that's more seasoned. Though. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, yeah, we can get it because where we are. Uh, You're out in the sticks. Out in the sticks and there's there's a farm you passed it on the way in that uh, Nakka run and they yeah. have maybe 100 to 150 head of Deer. Lovely. And that needs to be cultivated. So yeah. we're on pretty good terms with them. So we, we get some of our stuff from there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. You people have the meatballs, you'll have your Prince Corv, which is the sausage, like your cocktail sausage. Yeah. Uh, they don't ever taste of anything though, do they? I'm not a fan of them at all. Uh, we've made the venison ones this year, so it's be a bit more taste yeah. in them, all right, yeah. Uh, the desserts and the candies and that kind of thing are a big thing as well. Do you go in for that mad. kind of thing? <laughs> they go mad. <laughs> Yeah. Shoveling things into bowls oh, yeah. down here, like you know. Well, it's here they're quite reserved, but some of the places in the city would have yeah. people would be mixing up the candy with the meatballs. Right? I'm going, Jesus Christ, the pint. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a big thing. The Christmas or the goodies bowl or whatever you call it. Yeah, it's a big thing. There you have to have your your jellies, and you have to have your resalamalta, and you have yeah. to have. Uh, all that lark peppercock and stuff like that yeah. with blue cheese I don't get that no I no, I thought you'd be into that no, now you and your no, hipster ways no no no. I still don't get that after no gingerbread and gorgonzola that no kind of not for me doesn't, doesn't work no I don't get it me neither I'm, I'm fucking uh, team Liam on this one I can tell you that. I don't get it uh, <laughs> and then you have the glug yeah uh, go handy on that too uh, especially that, if it's alcoholic stuff yeah. like, and then, uh, and then yeah the Christmas table Actually, now that I have you here, right, because you're a man who knows about these things, there's a way of eating this, right? Mm. So what's the order you're supposed to take the Christmas food in? Can you remember that? It's like seven sittings. Right. That's what the idea is behind it. Uh, I might be wrong now on this, but you start off with your sill, and then you go with your strimming. Strimming, okay, that's another form of herring there, yeah. yeah. And then you go with the salmon. Yeah. And the eggs. Then you go cold cuts. Yeah. Then you go warm table. Lovely. And then you go to dessert. How many is that? Is that six? Or six seven? or seven, you know. Yeah. If, you're, if you're separating the salmon from the eggs, then I think yeah. it was seven, you know. So, yeah, that's the way you're. Well, so you peel them potatoes at the start. And then yeah. And you work your way, you work your way through it then, you know. So it's dessert and, and cheese, then it's the last one. At the end of it. How will yourself and Sandra and the kids be celebrating this year? We'll do, probably, do you do the whole Irish thing in the, at home as well? Yeah. We'll do that maybe the 25th or the 26th. Uh, 26th, possibly, we'll do the turkey and stuff. The 25th, we will have the, the full Irish fry up. 
But you're going nuts now with the sausages and that. Oh yeah, that'll be it'll be all thrown in the pan on the twenty fifth. Do, do you make that yourself now, or do you buy Clonakilty sausages oh, from the English shop? Oh, sausages. No, Straight I actually up. got them from Clonakilty this year. Did you? Yeah. Uh, or Dunn store. My <laughs> sister was over there for uh, autumn break, so she brought over the whole pork suitcase came over. Like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's a potatoes. <laughs> That's all you need. Like. But that'll be on the twenty fifth, and then we possibly probably do the turkey on the twenty sixth. Yeah. And do you do all the work on the turkey and the ham and that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That sounds like <laughs> one of those says, get out of my kitchen. I'm in here. I'm doing this thing. I know, but Sandra's not. She's a good cook and all that, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't but, have but this it. is my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, it's my Christmas dinner. So you're not getting in there. Uh, no, she, she'd let me do the turkey. Yeah. Uh, she'd do the wash up if she gets done. She is. Throw it all out again. What's your favourite way to do the turkey? Because this time last year actually we had Donald skiing on telling us about it and now it's time for Liam Gillan's uh, turkey tips I suppose for this year. What, would you, what way would you go about it? it kind of we were raised I suppose doing it on the bone and the mother decided to get it boned and rolled yeah. and stuffed at the same time from the butcher. And, yeah. Uh, I think that's that's quite a good way. Uh, refreshingly is probably uh, you probably cook it on the board yeah. to keep the juices in a bit more. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I normally buy it, buy the turkey in uh, Ike Maxi down, down the road there. So nothing special, you don't go off to some farmer or something like that and go, no. uh, do you get a fresh one or a frozen one? Uh, fresh. They're normally fresh down there. Jeez, the, you must be living among the posh house here enough. There's fresh turkey going out in the Mac. In Ica Maxi there, the, the big supermarket. There's they have a fresh, fresh turkey, turkey, do they? Yeah. Because it's beginning to start. You see, Yule board is, is, is quite similar to what people eat at midsummer. Midsummer and Easter so, and yeah, all that kind of thing. So it's getting more and more popular, the turkey. Yeah. Uh, and then for Thanksgiving, Americans. Yeah. That's getting more and more popular over here. Uh, about two years ago, we did a turkey dinner here on the 26th. Yeah. And it was bananas. It was like it a yeah. big box to have turkey dinner. Fantastic. Uh, so, yeah. But, yeah, you, it, it probably started off, I would start it off at a lower temperature and cook it longer. And then for the last half an hour. Blaze away on it. Turn the heat up. So yeah. you get your skin nice and crispy. How do you stop it getting dry as a fucking bone in there? Uh, we, or I would have put the bacon on it, and then you'd have the tinfoil on it. Yeah. And parchment paper and tinfoil, and then you'd start it off at maybe 130 degrees, and let it go three or four hours that way, three yeah. hours maybe. Uh, and then take that off, and then turn the heat up, and then you get the nice... Blaze away for the last little while, like, you know? I do. What What would you say with it? Would you be doing roast potatoes and all that kind of stuff with it? Yeah. Uh, you'd have the roast potatoes, but you can't have turkey without uh, the stuff and all the Brussels sprouts. It has to be done. I hate Brussels sprouts when I was a young lad, but uh, now I've, I've managed to get a taste for it. I mean, a handful of them now. They go down well once a year, all right. Yeah, they? they do. Uh, yeah, I remember the mother would be cooking them for 20 minutes. Like, no, it's a bit more. What is it, five, ten minutes? Five Sorry, minutes. Yeah. Do you do them? Do you try roasting them in the oven with bacon or that kind of stuff? I do it in the pan. You'd cook them uh, in the water first, uh, and then you'd have the onion and the uh, smoked uh, pork belly yeah. frying in the pan, and then you'd lob the Brussels sprouts in there with plenty of butter. <laughs> plenty of butter. That seems to be the key to absolutely everything in cooking, isn't it? Yeah, you need to have good slab of butter. A in good there. slab. You need to have some fat in your food. Jesus, we. We work hard enough. <laughs> we can give ourselves some bit of enjoyment with a little bit of butter. <laughs> and will you take any sort of time off over Christmas or will you be back here on the 26th to doing whatever it is you're uh, doing for the we, wealthy people of the South Carolina? The hotel closes on the 23rd at 5 o'clock, but I'm duty manager until Monday at 8 o'clock. So the hotel closes, we have no guests, uh, but I'm still responsible. That the, the whole thing stays standing through yeah. Christmas, kind of thing. So yeah. it's, uh, there's certain things here that will work quite a few crowns. So it's like you have to have a little look around to see if there's breakings or yeah. fire damage or things like that. So yeah. it, it's not going mad on the gargle. You're not allowed on the gargle when you're, when you're on call, like, yeah. So you're on call 24 7. So Jesus. I'll have a whiskey Monday, the 
What is it? The 26, uh, 20, 26, I think, is Monday, yeah. Okay. I'll, have so, a, I'll have some cargo that day. So five past eight when you're not <laughs> far <after. laughs> And I'll log out. So, uh, yeah, and then we close. We're close to New Year's as well, so it's, uh, I'll be able to enjoy New Year's. Yeah. And then we'll be back to work maybe the Tuesday after New Year in some way or another. What's, what's the core business of this place? Because we mentioned earlier on, it's very hard to make money out of food. Is it from the rooms that you make the money and the beautiful view that we have here behind us? Yeah, Borgord's a huge name in the, the meetings world. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what kind of makes the money. The, the, the packages that they have. They have For like, conferences. Conferences. Uh, so you have, they stay over, they have breakfast, lunch, peak, dinner. Yeah. Then they go All adds up. bananas in the bar, and then <laughs> breakfast the following day, and then they have feet, and then they have lunch. And most people go home. Yeah, you probably get most people go home on the second day after, yeah. about four o'clock. And the conference world is it's huge in Vogord, uh, locally. Yeah. Uh, but then we're now trying to attract more and more private business. And I suppose that's why I got the job. Yeah. Uh, and try and get at the private business uh, because I don't love working meetings, conferences. It's not your it's, thing. It's that not my thing. No. I don't love it. Uh, but this, where you're sitting now in the, the old part of the house, Villa Quart Tufta, is my... It's your playground kind of thing. This is yeah. my playground. Yeah. Uh, so we built the bar. I'll show you after we're finished, but we built a bar seven in, we opened the 7th of September, which is amazing, I think. And, and then in here, we will be a dine alone restaurant in September, August, September next year. Yeah. And is that bar, is that sort of for guests or is it for locals or what's the idea? Uh, it's for, it's open for everyone. So we want our local people coming in, having a, an Irish coffee or a glass of wine or an alcoholic beverage. Uh, we don't want it. We don't want them people coming into a wall of people that are on a conference. Yeah. So we try and keep our conference guests to a certain degree away from the bar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's other bars in the area as well. So it's in the in the hotel. So we try and keep it for well, Phil and Marie coming out for a romantic weekend. Oh yeah. Type of thing. So. Yeah, it's it's working well. It's South Shabadon's quite. It's a big area, but there's not a whole lot out here. Yeah, uh, it's also a grand hotel which you see across across yeah. the road uh, at the winter time. Yeah, so you get to pick if you don't want to go out in the lash in in, in downtown Stockholm. From yeah. but you come out, you might want a, a whiskey or something yeah. on a Saturday night. So you come here instead or yeah. over there. So it's, uh, yeah, it's good. We're good local. They're supporting us pretty well, the local. Yeah, yeah. And they've enjoyed what we've done with it. Yeah. Uh, because there's wintertime. Our Holman is a summer restaurant which opens in May to the end of September. Yeah. And after that, there's always a grand hotel. Yeah. And there's nothing else. That, that's all that's out here, really. If you want to have a drink. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to drink at home. It's the same blog, yeah, that's no crack really. It's not. It? It's no crack. So it's nice to get out and to the bars. Yeah, have somewhere to go. Have somewhere to go. Yeah. So. Where's the future for you at all, this Liam? Because you seem very content now. You know, it's very hard to get you into town. It's very hard to get you to play football anymore because you seem to be quite content with life with Sandra and the three kids and the job here. And, and of course, you have the twins at home. You have to look after as well, don't you? Yeah, that was a bit of a shock. That kind of killed <laughs> uh, all social uh, like uh, <laughs> twins. To be honest, uh, how old are they now? They're two uh, in October. So, yeah, we, had the, we have Lily, who's 11, and then we have the twins, who are two. So there was a bit of a gap there. Uh, yeah. uh, so it's kind of, and then I started here at the same, roughly about the same time. So social life has kind of taken a, a downturn. Fair nosedive, all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, it's mostly, if I do get free time, it's, and it's during the day, it's like, yeah, you'd be out on the bike a lot, wouldn't you? Out on the bike, yeah. Uh, that's my, I suppose, pressure release. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to get to go cycling on, on the road, road cycling or whatever you call yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so that's my that's what I do if I have free time. Yeah. And then I actually, I was in the city on the beer. 
at the start of December. Got at the start of December. <laughs> I met uh, Simon Crawley yeah. uh, and a few more in uh, Bryal. Uh, so we're on the beer until it, it's, it takes me two days to recover. Yeah, you wouldn't be able for it anymore. I would have loved to have gone in last night to meet the boys. I haven't seen the boys in a long time. Yeah. Uh, Sandra, she had a, an after work and Christmas party with her job. So it's always... Yeah, it was the same as when I was working. Like, you know? Could you ever see yourself opening your own restaurant? Have you ever thought about doing that over here? Or is it just not worth that? I did think about it, uh, but we were, I've thought about it twice actually. We were very close to buying something in Scona yeah. one year after I arrived. We bought something in Scone, or we had it been approved. We hadn't signed the papers. We had the the bank papers. Yeah. We had been approved of the loan, and we got and the website was starting. And we knew it had been starting, and we'd given our notice for our jobs. And then we sent down a company MTC Mix to do a construction yeah. thingy, uh, and they found a big hole in the wall. So crack. And it was in Scone, Scone Gord, an old. Uh, red brick house with thatched roofs. Yeah. Uh, and we said no. So we pulled out of that. Luckily enough. Uh, Could have cost you millions otherwise, wouldn't it? Yeah, we, we might have had to knock it. Yeah. They couldn't really say it could last 10 years, it could last 20 years, it might fall down tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> so we said, uh, no. uh, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> let's not do that. And we'd been down there in Fleeing, I think it's called, which is the big horse riding center. Yeah. So yeah. We were down there. Uh, and then there's a place over the road here called Hansel's House. Mm-hmm. That's been up once or twice, but it's just the wrong time now for me. Yeah, with a couple you, of two-year-old twins yeah, at home and that kind of thing. You, you have to work. You can't be afraid to work if you have your own business. Yeah, so it's, uh, you can't be going and collecting and leaving the kids with doggies. Like no, just, yeah, you know. if they get sick and kids get sick, and it's where are they going to go into the kitchen? Yeah, yeah, and you don't want your your kids in the kitchen. No. Not in their seat. So maybe but, a few years down the line we might see something there. Maybe. You never know. Uh, you might have to win the lottery first. Uh, but so it's the only way you make money in this business, isn't it? Uh, you never, still, the itch is still there sometimes. You'd love to try something. Yeah. At the minute. And do you often put on the whites these days? They'll go down into the kitchen and go, right, stand back, lads. Let me show you how this is done. Uh, I was maybe about a month and a half ago I was in the kitchen because people were sick Magnus the head chef texted said oh what have you got planned today said, oh, the usual said, can you help out in the kitchen yeah you just go in uh, and do you go in under Magnus there then now oh yeah uh, very much so you have yeah. to do what you're told yeah how does that feel that feels fine it's uh, I have to show uh, that he's the boss in the kitchen yeah I can't be going in there undermining him yeah uh, it wouldn't be right uh, long term uh, so i just do what he tells me to do yeah. and he just says i'll do whatever you want to do <laughs> yeah. this is needs to do pick it up and he'll so put you back on the bench then straight <laughs> exactly. away will he? and then he'll kick me out and then he say, oh, you can go now he'll be firing uh, a souffle at you going uh, okay, what's this gonna do so i do enjoy the kitchen something that kind of miss at yeah. times i remember when i started here i had to have a shirt on i'm thinking I felt naked without a chef jacket yeah, yeah. and an apron. It's taken me a while to, to get it. Yeah, but I, I know if I do want to go in the kitchen, like I will say, yeah, you can come into the kitchen. Work away, like that. Work away. It's not something that I miss yeah. totally. But yeah, you, I spend a lot of time on social media looking at different dishes. and It's still part of me and still yeah. gets my head going sometimes. I've one last question for you, right? I mean, it's you're still in the middle of what is a fantastic career in catering, and you've done amazing things, and you'll do even more amazing things. But if Lily and the twins were to come to you and say, "Dad, I think I'd like to get into catering," would you say, "Yeah, go ahead, that's a great idea," or for the love of God, would you do something else? Uh, mixed. <laughs> I would. Uh, I would say, I would this. I wouldn't encourage it. Yeah. Because uh, it's a tough. Tough business to be in. Uh, you miss a lot of. You miss out on a lot of things. Nights out and Nights friends out. doing things and parties, football start. matches. Yeah, exactly. and, yeah. Uh, but if she, if they did want to do it, then I would make sure that they go to the best possible place. Yeah. To do it, and then go wholeheartedly into it. Yeah. 
uh, and then summer jobs, of course, they should work in hotels and restaurants. Serving ice cream and making yeah. hamburgers and whatever. Because, yeah. It kind of gives you some tools for the rest of your life, to be honest. Yeah. Meet certain people and deal with certain things. If you want to make, it's a tough life to have to do it for the rest of your life. Yeah. So if you do really want to do it, I would encourage them to go to probably the best places. Push them to go to the best places yeah. where they learn the trade. I think uh, that damn we have to open a restaurant to give the best shot at that, you know. I know there's there's plenty of people out there doing very <laughs> good things. So, it's, but just to encourage that they don't go to the that they go aim to be the best is to do whatever. Yeah, yeah. Not not be content with just no, being in whatever hotel or whatever. Exactly. Like. It's, yeah. There's the world is there. I stare at this stage. They can go anywhere. Look at us too. Yeah. Uh, oh, we we did fairly well for ourselves from Clare. Like yeah. it's, and now we're in, in Stockholm, Sweden. There is no boundaries anymore for our kids or their kids or whatever. So it's to do their best, be the best that they can possibly be. Bit, yeah. bit like leaving Ganan's dinners. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it's good. Sometimes it's just uh, your frozen meatballs, stuff <laughs> like that. It's just it's all about time, really. Uh, you come home from work in the Twins are screaming for the dinner at four or five o'clock. Yeah. They don't know what's that's a that's a there's no something in front of them. Is that what the Kenny Kennedy says? Like throwing buns at an elephant. Exactly. They they have reasonably good appetites, but they don't care if it's lobster or fillet of beef or all <laughs> cold. So it's, it's, it's a lot about time. I do like to cook proper food for the girls, but it's not always possible. We work. Yeah. We both work 100% or 150% sometimes, it feels like. But, uh, so it's, they have to eat as well what they want to eat. They yeah. Don't force feed them Irish stew every day. No, no, much and all as we'd like to kind of thing. Yeah. If people want to test things out, uh, Vorgord is located here in South Kobanda. Mm-hmm. The restaurants are open. Where? What's the website? So, uh, www.vorgard.se. And everything is up there, including a, a picture of the beaming Liam Gidan. Is there a picture of me? Nah, I'm sure there is. There was a not. picture once before, I think, at the start. I don't know if they removed it. <laughs> Scared people was away. There was a picture of me with a knife. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but it's a very good website, actually. It's quite, uh, uh, it's quite, there's a lot of information. There's a lot up there. And follow the Instagram. The Instagram is where it's all happening for you, is it? Yeah, the Instagram. I think webs. Websites are gone a bit old-fashioned. Yeah, uh, I think Instagram and possibly Facebook is a bit more where it's happening. Yeah. People look there rather than the website. Yeah. at this stage, uh, I think I feel like I don't remember the last time I was on a website. God, I'm it's been a long time ago. Uh, so it, I think the social media is is a, is a tool that needs to be. Well, especially for food. I mean, Instagram is made up for, for fantastic food, the like of which you get here, kind of thing, you know? Yeah, you eat with your eyes. Yeah. That's the first thing you see on the plate before you even taste it. So yeah. if it looks good, it probably 95% of the time it tastes good. Even if it's frozen meatballs, you know? Even if it's frozen <laughs> meatballs. Uh, depends on how you put it up and what you do with yeah. it. Just keep them off the Christmas table. Yeah, exactly. But for now, Liam, thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you, Philip. absolutely fantastic to have the opportunity to go out there and meet Liam and sit down with him and have a chat and to see that wonderful place and I mean I know this is an audio podcast so you don't really get a chance to see it the way I saw but my god it's magnificent altogether out there it looks lovely and uh, yeah so if you have a chance go out there well, Mel and Dogana the days between Christmas and New Year if you're nothing else jump in the car go out there uh, it might cost you a few uh, Bob but he might throw in a cup of coffee or something like that if he's out there on call or whatever that is it ladies and gentlemen we are done do me a favour if you can share the podcast on your Instagram story on your Facebook page on your LinkedIn the bell Marjorie Sundstrom did a lovely job she made a really nice comment and shared the podcast and it got loads of people involved in it 
uh, just sort of interacting with her and out of them was a chap who has just moved to Sweden I think his name was Anthony and he's just moved and hopefully he's listening to this podcast and he's feeling the warmth of the Irish community here in Sweden that he's discovered there's a whole bunch of episodes there over the last year 14 months or so that you can go back and listen to and get his teeth into and maybe he'll uh, discover a little bit of a community around the whole thing that he can get involved in and it's there for you it's there for him but without you sharing it uh, it's hard to reach people that I don't know right I know most he is right enough but uh, there's always a few people I can't reach and maybe don't know about it and uh, so if you have a, uh, the opportunity please do share it uh, I want to wish you and yours uh, the merriest and happiest of Christmases and the happiest and most successful of New Year's uh, we had a great year with the Irish community this year a huge thank you to Martin Hessian at Veerstrom's for sponsoring the podcast uh, to the Ambassador and everybody in Ireland House there from the various state agencies who have worked so hard uh, on our behalf and on behalf of our country um, to the Swedish born members of our community that would be our children that would be uh, the people who we have married and who brought us here and who interact with us and who make living here uh, so much the better um, I'm looking forward to even better things next year from the Swedish Irish Society from Spuds and Sill from the Stockholm Gales from Luleå and yeah the GA clubs there, Malmo, Gothenburg. I'm looking forward to seeing all of you out there. I'm looking forward to meeting you uh, on St. Patrick's Day and on Bloomsday. And I'm going back over all these things again. And I'm finding new people to talk to and new stories to tell. Because this is a thriving community. You know, somewhere between two and a half and three and a half thousand people living and working and living their lives here. Um, every week and it's great to be part of it and it's great to, uh, to have so many people listening to this podcast so thank you for everything in this year and let us look forward together to a magical magical 2023 let us really really hope that uh, the pandemic is behind us and that we can start getting back to, to living as normal and seeing each and one another as much as possible and taking care of one another in the way that only an Irish or a Swedish Irish community can listen have a great one good luck I'll talk to you again soon <laughs>